hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. We've got a big one for you this week. We're going to look at all the news from around the league, look at the winners and losers of free agency and uh, take our first look at the upcoming NFL draft. So hey, we've got Connor here, we've got Harry. Hey. And we've got Ronan. Hello. Dialed in from Cork. Uh, how are we getting on, lads? Any crack? Yeah, grand. I got promoted last week uh, in work, which is exciting, you know, taking on new challenges, having responsibilities, no longer being able to... Whenever anyone comes up to me with anything, be like, oh, go, go ask the manager, go ask the team leader. Like, you, you are the team leader now, you have to deal with it. That's you now. So that's me now. Also, I found something interesting. One of the girls at work, a German girl, her boyfriend uh, used to play for the Dublin Rhinos. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so uh, he's, been sent a, he's been sent a link to the old podcast now. <laughs> so I hope he's listening. Hello. <laughs> uh, he'll last about another minute and you're like, this is shite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about yourself? It's any crackdown in Cork? Uh, not much. Uh, the, we're in the land of no buses, apparently. But uh, other than that, everything in Cork is pretty much the same. No, of course, of course. I'm I'm currently gearing up. We're recording this uh, kind of early this week because uh, I'm pissing off to Africa again for a while. So it should be good fun. Off down to Ethiopia on Thursday. Uh, so then back in two weeks' time. And then I think myself and yourself, Fitz, are off to uh, to Vincent's wedding. Yep. Yeah, so that should be good fun. Be a bit of a bit of an session out in... Mullingar, I think we're going. Jesus. So, uh, yeah. I, there's, 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 there's a big hope that the bus strike will be resolved by then. Because <laughs> it'll be a nightmare getting back otherwise. I suppose, lads, we've got an absolute shit ton to get through today, so we should fire right on into it. Uh, we'll start off with the news. Uh, big news coming out of the owners' meeting. Uh, the NFL owners met up and discussed all things the business of the business. Uh, the Raiders are now to become the Las Vegas Raiders. That is now going ahead. Uh, so I suppose we kind of discussed this a few times about whether we thought it would happen or not. Like, do you think this is a positive move or a, or a negative move, Fitz? It kind of both. It's, it's a difficult one to kind of go with. Like, I think for the team, I think it's kind of half and half. I think, like, I think in terms of the owner anyway, like if the owner is the embodiment of the team, it's a great move for the owner. Like the Davis family is really one of the kind of lower tier owners. He isn't really doesn't really have that much independent wealth. And basically, Las Vegas came in with a seven hundred and fifty million amount of public money, which is the kind of money which is getting tougher and tougher to find. So you know, when that kind of money came in, it made complete sense for him to do that. And Oakland basically they came in with like a last minute like plan but it still had a lot of contingencies and I think the biggest thing is the stadium would have been owned by the Oakland uh, City Council and then, you know overall I don't think it's a great look for the league I think the league is pretty like I like, like everyone in the league wanted to stop this happening it was just that because Oakland was was busy not willing to play ball they basically voted through because of that but I think everyone is aware that kind of like uh, the one owner who didn't uh, who didn't who didn't vote for it? The Miami Dolphins, uh, Stephen Ross, basically kind of said it out loud, which is basically when you start moving these institutions, they should be they're more like utilities. They're not like just another business. They're a business which has an emotional attachment and a, an attachment which is based on the idea that these aren't just things that just can move from place to place without any consequence. So I think overall, I think the ownership of the Raiders wins. I think. The NFL as a whole is losing because of all these moves, and overall, you know, the biggest losers obviously just the fans. Like they're going to have to take a seven-hour trip if they want to do that. But I suppose the one advantage for this particular team is that the Raiders brand is so strong 
that maybe they could get away with. No, like they, they are going to face a bit of an issue in that I believe the NHL are putting a franchise in there at the same time. So to then have two major sports teams come in and both be competing to try and establish themselves there will be interesting. Because the one, the one fear I think that a lot of people have about this move is you will have people going to the games because every casino is going to buy seats and give them out as prizes. The problem is, is it going to feel like a home game or is it going to feel like 30,000 people who are turning up to the game are turning up there because they're on a weekend in Vegas and they don't really care about the home team all that much? It's exactly the issue San Diego have had over the last few years. Again, a, uh, a town that's mostly uh, transplants, uh, well, a city I suppose mostly transplants even though it has quite a large population as does Vegas and doesn't really have the same kind of yeah, roots that you would have in a place like Oakland. Um, you do end up with the, the, that being the risk that the, once things go a little bit wrong and once the novelty wears off, mm. it's very hard to keep uh, all of the fan base, particularly casual fans, motivated enough to pay the money to go to games. That yeah. is the risk with Vegas. I don't think it's going to be that bad um, as San Diego was, simply because, like you said, the branding and the ability... They're still going to be able to fill the stadium even when there are issues. So, and and even if you compare them to the two other teams that have moved, like this is a team that's much more in ascendancy, and it's easier to establish a team if they're doing well. Like no one wanted, to, we saw it last year. No one wanted to go and fill the seats to go see the LA Rams play because they were dog shit. Whereas this is a team that's young, that's exciting. They've got their pieces. They're going to be competing for the next at least the next five or six years anyway, unless they lose people to free agency. Then at that point, like. They are in a much better position to succeed than I think either the Chargers or the Rams are. I'd agree. Um, so yeah, like we'll see how this progresses. Obviously, there's 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 the limbo they're now sat in where they're playing in Oakland this year and possibly the year afterwards. Uh, so maybe maybe signing Marshawn Lynch will give them the little bit of a <laughs> hometown kick that will keep the keep the supporters turning up for the next two years. Um, other moves that happened at the owners' meeting: they've now banned leaping for blocking field goals and extra points. Uh, obviously, they've decided there was a safety issue. It was an exciting play, but it didn't really happen all that often. Um, like, I don't see this being a big difference maker. Oh well, Shane McClellan's career is ruined now because that was all he was good at. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, I understand the safety aspect. I, in, in theory, like there haven't really been that many injuries on these kind of plays, mm-hmm. and there's still restrictions on what you can do. So it seems a little bit like one of those, oh, you know, the league is really caring about safety by sort of picking at the corners of marginal issues while not addressing the obvious elephants in the room that we all know are still ongoing. Um, It's a shame. It was a fun play. It was spectacular when it worked. It led to some, like, block kicks are fun, especially now with being able to be returnable and so on. Yes, that's the thing that was actually very enjoyable. Yeah, so it's it's a bit of a shame from that aspect. Um, But, yeah, like you said, it wasn't something that happened on every single play, so I don't think it's going to have a huge impact. Mm a huge impact around the league but I I, I honestly don't really see the point of this one it wasn't like dangerous in theory but nobody had been injured doing that for a very long time yeah Yeah, I think one thing I think there was a a feeling around the league that this year if it hadn't been banned there would have been changes from the centre or the 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 kick centre to be more aggressive and getting up quicker to get that contact which turns it into a penalty yeah I suppose you can you can, you can can see that even that was happening towards the back end of this season um, in other safety news they also passed an automatic expulsions for particularly dangerous or egregious hits to the head um, this is obviously just an idea of they have they brought in this year the idea that if you have two of these personal foul penalties or two of these types of hits that you will be ejected this is now just allowing the refs to say if someone does it and it's very bad, very dangerous. They can just turf them out, which overall I think it just it makes sense and it might straighten up some of the more ne'er-do-well elements on defences around the league. 
Um, they've introduced one or two other smaller bits. Uh, one that we mentioned, I think, on the last podcast, which we thought was a great idea, is essentially bringing in a TMO like in rugby, where they're going to have the station in uh, in New York there to help with reviewed plays and things like that. Uh, they've changed some of the block rules, and they're also discussing changing overtime to being 10 minutes in some weird, vain attempt to say... They said playing an entire 15 minutes of overtime is very unfair if a team has to then go and play on the Thursday, so they're just going to take five minutes off it or something. I, I, I just thought it made no sense to Everyone me whatsoever. Everyone right? Yeah, right. everyone. Yes, the, the, the New York Giants owner, Mara, actually came out and said ties are the preferred ways of breaking tiebreakers. Yeah, I suppose. Like, if they... Like, I don't... The thing is, I think, if I remember correctly, the numbers on this are very small in that, like, of the say, 90 games in the last 10 years that went to overtime, like, only of that 90, 20 went beyond 10 minutes, and of that 20, like, half of them were decided in the final five minutes of them. But, yeah, like, I, I, I just think it's a weird, stupid thing. Uh, they've tabled the discussion about excessive celebrations for their next meeting, so we'll see. Uh, other thing that happened around that time of this meeting as well was the... Mizungus, the Washington Mizungus, have fired GM Scott McClellan. Uh We kind of saw this one on the horizon coming in. But this this was one that I think we're just more surprised it didn't happen earlier, right? Yeah, I, I think this was pretty much coming. And there's been a little bit of back and forth. I think Scott McLaren had some on-the-record uh, comments that he made to Michael Robinson, currently uh, does media work. And he basically said that, you know, it wasn't a drinking thing. I haven't touched that in ages. So whatever stories you've heard about that, that isn't true. Mm. This was just, you know, they stopped communicating me. They stopped respecting me. They stopped listening to me. Uh, so it was really an issue with the president of the Washington organization. And it was his decision. Yeah. So I think I think they're, everyone's kind of keeping their powder dry because I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some like civil suits being thrown around in a few months. I'd, I'd say uh, so because we we, for, we even saw players coming out and saying the stories that the that the Washington ownership were putting out about him were untrue. That like there was stuff about him being embarrassing in the locker room, and players came out and said that never happened. Like I don't know what they're discussing here. Yeah, this has just been completely mishandled by Washington. And look, the Mazungus had a guy who was a proven quality GM who was making very good moves to the team. And has just fallen victim to the in little petty internal power struggles that have been holding that team back over the last while. And the the, um, the weirdest thing about this story, I'll probably close it off on this, was uh, so obviously it's a bit of a weird time to decide once you're into the off season and coming up to the draft to then get rid of your GM. But also apparently they are keeping his boards, they're keeping his draft boards and using them. They're not even letting the replacement do their own. I just. I suppose, yeah, so we've we'll, we'll got some player news, and I suppose a couple of extensions have come through. Arizona have extended Chandler Jones five years, eighty-three million with fifty-three million guaranteed. That's a hell of a lot of money going in there. What do you make of that move, there, Harry? Um, it's an interesting one. Like Jones is obviously a very good player. Um, didn't work out for us for a variety of reasons. Has played well in Arizona. Like, it's a lot of money, and it is a lot of money. Um, so I think part of it's based on production, but I think there's also part of it is based on the fact that Jones was going to be a hot property if he if he was he got out, if he yeah. did get out. So they kind of had sort of I think preempt the market on that one a yeah. bit. And given that we've seen again for, for defensive players for pass rushers where the market is going, yeah, it it makes sense from that perspective. Given that Arizona are looking like their window might be closing a bit, this might be something they come to regret. Yes, a few years down the line. Um, 
but it'll be again a few years down when we see what direction Arizona is going in over the next year or two that we'll really be able to assess whether or not this amount of money uh, and this amount of guaranteed money in particular made sense yeah no of course Speak- speaking of the pass rusher market uh, JPP got a, a whole lot of money as well signed to a four year extension 40 million guaranteed 62 million overall uh, as I said we're seeing these guys like JPP had a good season last year but there is obviously character questions he's getting about the same kind of in the region of kind of 10 million a year guaranteed with another 5 million a year in incentives that he can hit this just seems to be what you have to pay these people right Fitz? Yeah, like pass rushers are just basically the most valuable uh, commodity in the market, except for quarterbacks and maybe left tackles. Like it's just it's just the case that you know we saw the amount of money that was thrown around for pass rushers last year, and everyone this year saw that tagged their elite pass rushers. And in the in the case of Chandler Jones and JPP, they have now paid them an extortionate amount of money. If they're successful, that's great. But it's all it's also true that a lot of these guys are getting all this money. Uh, there are question marks over them, like Chandler Jones. You know, the, the, the character concerns might just be overbared because the Pats. Uh, but JPP, like you know, don't forget he's only a year off blowing off his hand. Like that's that's not a great look for a player that you're now giving forty million guarantee to. That's the way the market works. The market works on what is there is where there's a lack of supply and there's just not enough pass rushers to go around, so they're going to get paid. So like I would question it, but. You know, in this league, some positions just get paid no matter what. Uh, Miami signed Rashad Jones, five years, 60 million, 35 guaranteed. And Dallas have extended Jason Witten by three years. The man will never die. Um, yeah, like, basically, good. there's obviously, there's a few other ones because we're going to go into kind of an in-depth look at who is the big winners and losers. So there will be some other trades, extensions, things like that that come into it. Uh, we have a look at a couple of the players that have been released of note. Uh, we've got Detroit releasing DeAndre Levy. Baltimore releasing Doomerville, uh, Connor Barwin gone from Philly, King Dunlap from the Chargers, and uh, Williams from Buffalo. So we'll move on to our onto our onto our favourite part. Uh, you know, players doing bad stuff, being bowled in the off season, the crime and punishment section. Uh, I won't sing the jingle this time. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what are they going to do? Probably felonies. <laughs> Uh, TJ McDonald's been suspended for eight games uh, substance abuse issue uh, driving under the influence back in January um, obviously this is a bit of a shot to them to lose a guy for eight games uh, Kenneth Dixon's been suspended for four games for PDs. Alden Smith <laughs> Alden Smith crashed his car Should into an undercover police car He's just cursed. Like, he's just cursed. Oh, good Like, it's one thing to crash your car. It, like, that's just bad luck. Like, bear, bear in mind, dear listener, this is the same Alden Smith who was videotaped smoking weed while he was on a ban <laughs> for drugs. Uh, and they said, uh, Alden, Alden, what do you think of the film? He's like, oh, we'll be okay with the film. They don't know it's me, Alden Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he also get arrested a few years ago for ye- yelling about a bomb in an airport? Yeah, like, no, like the dude is just not all there. No. Uh, Austin's very Jackson is better for two games. Darrell Rivas has had his charges dismissed, and by having his charges dismissed, his friend took the rap for him. What a what a Chris Carter say at the rookie symposium? Always, always have, have a fall, fall guy. guy. Yeah. Always have a fall guy, and. Uh, it's not ex-player rather than player, but Michael Irving uh, of NFL Network, I think, isn't he? Yep. Um, he's now been accused of rape again. They haven't put out any statements about this uh, yet, but they also haven't gotten rid of him yet. But as we say, I believe this is the third time that this is this has been uh, accused. So, uh, 
Yeah, like for me, I'm looking at the the Darrell Rivas getting his friend to take all the charges for him is probably an interesting move. He's been out in the media discussing how he does want to play again, and he has discussed that he would be up for what we what we suggested a couple of weeks ago that he would be up for playing for that minimum and just letting the Jets pay the six million to him or the the five point two they'd have to pay while the other guys get him for a year for eight hundred thousand. So like. I'm pretty sure we can hear the Patriots calling already here. Uh, that is going to be, I'll tell you, in, in a few years' time, that is going to be the most awkward Ring of Honor ceremony the oh. Jets are going to have for years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they'll make him pay for his own poster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. And then just one or two other little bits of news. Jordan Cameron's retired at age 28. Uh, Doug Freeze retired due to uh, injury concerns. Uh, Marcus Demarcus Ware has retired after eight, uh, twelve seasons, not eight seasons. Uh, but he's also apparently, while he's retired, he's left. Uh, he had an offer on the table for nearly nine million to come back to play this year. So uh, Freddie's doing. He seems to have kind of just decided that his body's not up to anymore. Goster Cherilis has retired as well. Um, so that's going to bring us on to our main section uh, this week, which is a review of the free agency period so far and having a little look at winners and losers. So I suppose what we'll do is we'll take a look at maybe three winners and three losers from uh, from from free agency so far. So uh, I suppose Harry, we'll let you kick us off with the with the first one, big winner so far. The fuckers keep doing this, New England. <laughs> are looking like they're in a better position to make a run at the Super Bowl than the team that just won the fucking Super Bowl. Uh, it's not fair. It's not fair. Fuck it, you guys. Uh, yeah, I think um, the concept of parity might have done something bad to Bill Belichick when he was younger because he's determined to just fuck it. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, been, look, it's been a fantastic offseason. I, I, I now have to recount everything I've said over the last year and a half podcasts about Stefan Gilmore because mm. none of it has been complimentary. Um but that's a, that's a good signing. Like I mean, so we've got now we've got Gilmore and uh, and Butler, who we now have basically tied up at this point. It looks like nobody's willing to make the uh, sacrifice required to take him off our hands this season, anyway. Yeah. So that's good, and we've got him, him uh, relatively still relatively cheap. Um, it, it, Gilmore, we, it was a bit uncharacteristic the amount we paid for him, uh, particularly given that he had struggled last season in Buffalo. But then again, I mean. Struggling last season in Buffalo is, you know, I mean, yeah. that the, everyone was struggling a bit over there. So it's going to be interesting. I think it's definitely an upgrade on Logan Ryan, who he let walk. So from that perspective, uh, I feel like we've got stronger as a result of free agency in the defensive backfield. Um, very excited about Brandon Cooks. That is, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not convinced that the first rounder yet, um, but because it's hard to assess wide receivers in Drew Brees' offense a lot of the time. Yeah, they but, tend to be number generating. They do, and he also spreads the ball around so much that you know you don't really get a dominant guy. But obviously, again, Belichick has seen something he likes, and at this point, I've just given up on second guessing Belichick because he knows a lot more than me about football. But Cooks is really exciting because it's a type of player that we like. He he can be a deep threat, and he can also do the behind the line kind of stuff and run yeah. and, and make big plays happen. So it's kind of like we've got a, we've got guys who can do one or two of that one of those things. We don't have a guy who can do both of them, and I think that's really a really interesting wrinkle to add in. In terms of that, and the other signing, I'm very intrigued by is Rex Burkhead uh, because Patriots have to have a white running back. It's just it's just <laughs> written. Um, he was kind of a nothing in Cincinnati, and then he finally got a chance at the end of last season, and he looked fantastic. Yeah. Now, admittedly, it was kind of in games that didn't really matter all that much at that point. But given that we don't seem to really like, we're gonna we haven't brought back Blunt yet. Um, this is a guy who, in short yardage situations, we know can be effective. Who showed he can actually has got a bit more to his game than that. 
uh, over the last few games. And he, of course, has had a series of injury problems that I think pre- prevented him from living up to the potential he might have had. So that's going to be a very interesting sort of one-year deal to see what he can actually do yeah. for this team. And that adds another dimension to a running game that as... You know, as Brady is getting older and we're protecting Brady more and we're running a very balanced offense in New England with lots of different ways of attacking. A guy like that who can also function as a receiver as well as running between the tackles is, is, is a very, very... Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how that one pans out and I'm kind of intrigued to see where he slots into our rotation. So yeah, like it, it does look like we strengthened in key areas that we were concerned about. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with this. This is it. Like the only, the only major loss really has been Bennett, and like you know, you could be able to replace him. You picked up the the tight end from uh, from Indianapolis as well, didn't you? Yeah, and, uh, Dwayne Allen. Dwayne actually, Allen, yeah. yeah. Who will be like he fit nicely into that role of he never really hit the heights people were expecting of him, but he is he is a good pass catcher. He can block. He can do all those things. Some injury concerns, but like you know, that's that's fine. Like you'd seem to do well with. High ceiling, tight ends with injury concerns. Uh, yeah, it seems to be one of one Bron- of your go tos. Gronk made his WrestleMania debut this week. Yes, I was, yeah. I was surprised we haven't discussed the Gronk's WrestleMania debut. Uh, <laughs> fuck, he's such a lad. Oh, like that is every, he's living every bro's dream. It's amazing. I <laughs> know. Uh, there's now like there's now just fraternities dedicated to him in America. Just like just be <laughs> like Gronk. Um, I suppose, yeah, like overall, overall a great offseason for New England. Uh, there is obviously the odd concern about things like Cook was very vocal about not getting enough targets last year and the fact that you're now going to have like 12 pass catchers on the field at every time, <laughs> uh, whether he'll get fed enough to keep him shut up or not. But uh, but no, very strong, very strong from New England. Um, another one that's a winner, I suppose, would be, uh, would be Cleveland. They've uh, made the big kind of blockbuster NBA style trade that we we discussed previously they uh, which we called on this podcast mm. a couple of weeks beforehand of uh, Brock Lobster being traded to the Browns them picking up picks for him and then basically just going to jettison him and not have any problems they haven't over pursued people they haven't spent too much money but they have strengthened their team in several positions their O-line with Zietler and, and Traders so that these are, these are guys who are coming in to take starting positions in a spot where even though they've got like 26 picks that's not a deep draft as we'll discuss later on for for that position so like they re-up Antonio as well yeah like they've got they've got some great great building blocks in place there they haven't lost too much uh, the exception of Pryor who again we discussed before a very odd one of he was the only one who wasn't tradable but then they wouldn't give him the money he wanted he's gone for a one year deal elsewhere to, to, to the Mazungus like it's it's been a good one for them. They've been stockpiling draft picks. I think they've got something like twenty two uh, draft picks between this and next year's draft, and could potentially get more because they are they are looking at they are, they seem very open to the idea of like trading players if they can get the capital they want for them. So it'll be very interesting to see how they develop. I'm expecting a good draft out of them as well because well basically they've got so many picks they're going to have to hit on at least one or two of them. So I'd say uh, I'd put them as one. What about yourself, uh, Fitz? Yeah, so the, the last winner uh, that we'll talk about is probably just mediocre offensive tackles. There wasn't a lot of talent in the in the offensive tackle pool. I think Andre Whitworth uh, is actually good and got decent money from the Rams. And, Rick, and uh, Wagner is actually a decent right tackle. But besides that, you had a load of these kind of left tackles who've been on the carousel before, but yet still got paid a load of money. So Russell Okun is now in you know money per annum the highest paid left tackle in the league 
for someone who was basically ran out of Denver after being yeah. one of the worst left tackles in the league. Now, his guaranteed money isn't huge. I think his guaranteed money is less than $20 million, So he is losing a bit on that side. But the fact that he's getting these headline figures at all is really just ridiculous. But yet, somehow, that isn't even the worst deal for a tackle in this market. It was fucking Matt Khalil getting $55 million. Like, Matt Khalil is someone coming off a major injury. And even without that, it's actually been like a mediocre left tackle at most. Like, Ryan Khalil is the best fucking agent in the market. Like, getting his brother paid like this uh, <laughs> by Carolina. It's actually ridiculous the amount of money that he got there. Uh, so like that was like that's one of the worst moves in my opinion. Uh, and then you know, looking at the rest, like at the lower end of the market, like Riley Reef is getting overpaid for a player who lost his left tackle job to Taylor Decker, a, a like a, a rookie in his first year, very quickly and very comprehensively. And then you see people like Kelvin Beecham and Andre Smith continue to get paid, even though they have a history of injuries and a history of not really that good. Like I think Beecham could end up being decent enough value. He didn't look terrible in Jacksonville. And he's going to the Jets, so it can't be much harder to be worse than Ryan Claddy. Though it's a good time to be an offensive tackle in the league because the college game just isn't providing the like the amount of talent needed to fill those positions in the NFL. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, just just one or two kind of close close runners up that we thought we'd give honourable mentions to uh, fullbacks, uh, particularly San Francisco fullbacks. Uh, and the other the other also ran very close was a mediocre to poor wide receivers getting. Paid. They are having a great time. Garcon, Woods, Goodwin, Curley, Smith, all getting healthy chunks of change because people are terrified of rookies. Robert Woods is the best blocking wide receiver in the league. <laughs> uh, Michael Floyd wants a word with you. Um, so I suppose we move on to losers then. We've, uh, we'll do again, we'll do kind of three losers or so. Um, so what about yourself, Fitz? Who would you think is a, is a big loser? Well, I think the the, the, lose, the biggest loser in this in this period is isn't really people who got signed, but people who didn't get signed. I think one of the first well, to, 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 to an extent, unemployment does pale in comparison to employment. Yes. Oh, no, you could play for yeah. the Niners. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> um, it, I'll be a fullback for five million. <laughs> so, so the one I kind of think is like it's, it's kind of starting level quarterbacks who have in in quotation marks baggage. Um, so the most obvious one and obviously the most controversial one is Colin Kaepernick like Colin Kaepernick wasn't amazing last season and his you know his limitations were there to see on tape he's still a, he's still a quarterback who relies too much on his legs but he was solid and he, he worked well enough uh, last season to be better than some of the guys who are currently getting signed like but like the entire offseason has been a stream of bad news about Colin Kaepernick you know ranging from you know pe- like owners saying I, like his protest is just unacceptable like some people not being willing to do it because Trump supporters might get on their back since Colin Trump actually called out Colin Kaepernick yeah in a I saw that yeah in Tennessee and, and the things more trivial just like he's a vegan apparently being vegan is bad but you know avocado ice cream is amazing but basically there's been a hack job done to Colin Kaepernick all off season and it just shows that if you're not in that elite stratosphere and you have character concerns I think there's just a stage now that people are looking for for their quarterback, like a quarterback that they can sell uh, as, as, you know, the prototypical quarterback from a character pr- perspective, you know, cut off those sideburns, get rid of that, you know, fancy hair and, you know, look like the part. And I think that comes down to someone who is perhaps less politically controversial than someone like Jay Cutler, who, you know, we, we've made many jokes about Jay Cutler over the years, but 
it cannot be denied that he just does not give a fuck. He just, like, you know, when you want your quarterback to be the leader on the field, the general on the field, Jay Cutler's like, I don't know, taking a fag break, smoking, like, I don't know, you guys, just do your goddamn job. I'm, you know, going to go bang my wife or something. Like, well, Jay Cutler just lacks that it factor, and it's plagued him over the years. Well, Ronan... Ronan, there is there, there is argument that uh, part of the reason that he's not uh, he's not been picked up uh, is because I believe it's announced on Instagram that he's actually going to try to move to the tight end position. Okay. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, like you know, Cutler is probably still good enough to be in the league as a starting quarterback for someone, uh, but because he has this issue, this persona that people don't like, they're not going to give him something. And I suppose the ultimate manifestation of that going from being uh, entitled in a kind of a lazy way to being entitled in a whiny way is, of course, the, the move we mentioned previously, which is with the Brock Lobster. Uh, all like, if, the, if there's been a hack job done on Colin Kaepernick's political beliefs, there has been a hack job done on Brock Lobster's um, character concerns on the field um, within the locker room. Basically, everything we've come out of, out of Houston has been incredibly negative, and they've basically just shat all over him and have basically sent him to the wolves. Uh, but now he would go down in infamy probably as you know you just got brocked basically yeah um, so I think that it means that he could fall out of the league a lot sooner than you might expect even though you know the type of players who end up being backups is really not that high I think at the end of the day what this comes down to is that if you're going to be a marginal starter or a backup you really need to be uncontroversial Josh McCowan Brian Hoyer you know even their name sends you to sleep but they are solid, they are reliable, no one really cares about them. If they get kicked out by a rookie, no one really cares, but they're not making controversy. What we're seeing here is that teams are turning away from quarterbacks who have character concerns, and I think that means that players who are good enough to be quarterback in the league just end up aren't being, and I think they're the big losers in this free agency period, and will probably be going forward. Oh no, hundred uh, percent. I would say there, like there are, there have been reports out about one or two of them, like Cutler and Kaepernick, that there was questions over how much money they wanted and what type of kind of want to be a guaranteed starter rather than like compete and things like that I'm I'm sure we'll probably see them landing somewhere within the next month or two but uh, but yeah it does seem to be that the tide has turned against all of them and they're not having a good run of it so far uh, I'm going to take uh, as my loser veteran running backs because as we said like probably two of the largest names that came out into the free agency period were Adrian Peterson and Jamal Charles they are established runners people who have records under their belt rushing leaders in different years touchdown leaders in different years these are players who okay Adrian Peterson was not going to be worth the 14 or 17 million dollars they were going to have to pay him but He's definitely worth taking a punt on for five or six million and putting him in. There's quite a large number of running backs just sitting there waiting to be to, to, to be picked up. Uh, like we said, there's you know we've got our Petersons, we've got our our, our Charles and stuff, but then you've also got like Blunt, D'Angelo, Williams, people like this still sitting out in the market. People trying to decide what they're going to do with it, and it it seems to me, and we discussed this previously during the during the season of like. There seems to be more of a movement now. While the value of a running back and having a top-end running back has gone up, the 
perception of having like a superstar running back, one who's there for 12 years, is gone down an awful lot more. They seem to be more of the run them into the ground, get them young, run them hard, replace them. And I think that's what we're seeing reflected in the lack of interest in some of these guys. Like Even younger players like Eddie Lacy, Big Fat Eddie, has had to go on to a one-year prove-it deal to try and get in place. He's, he's caught on with the Seahawks. So what we're seeing is... Running backs who would have previously looked at this point in life, they're kind of 28 to 30, where they should be going for that kind of third contract, getting paid, getting their security. There's a significantly lower interest in the league in giving them that than there would have been four years ago. And they're all going to suffer quite a lot for it in terms of their earning potential. Uh, so I'd say veteran running backs are finding it a lot more difficult to try and get a job these days. So they're, they're my big loser so far in free agency. What about yourself, Harry? Uh, let's talk about the dumpster fire that is going on over in San Francisco Santa Clara now um, we said about the, the, the John Lynch thing we were like well let, let's see how it works out here's a guy who was a, a very talented player who then went into broadcasting and then was brought into a front office in a senior position with no real experience we're like alright let's give him the benefit of the doubt maybe the Niners are seeing something we didn't see maybe it'll pa- absolutely not like San Fran's free agency has been absolutely mental absolutely mental like players like Pierre Garçon and Malcolm Smith are decent players they are solid they are fine they are not worth anything close to the money Garçon is getting uh, I think nearly 50 million dollars over 5 years Smith is getting the equivalent of about 5 million dollars a year that's overpaying for mediocre to decent players that's the first problem the second thing is, is that they're picking up actively bad players as well. Like, guys like Marquis Goodwin, Dakota Watson, Aldrich Robinson, Matt Barkley. These are, are not good players. And these are players who are getting, you know, in some cases too much money. And in other cases, like, it just it's baffling as to why these are the players that they targeted in free agency as opposed to as opposed to others. As we said, like, first first stop on the train was let's lock down our fullback talent. Like. Yeah, well, the Carl Juszczyk contract <laughs> makes no sense. It's, this is it's five and a half million a year for a fullback. Like, I, I get that he's a good fullback. I, I get <laughs> that. Uh, he can block well. He can catch the ball, which is nice, and fullbacks can do that. It's a lot of money for a position that isn't used that much. Um, it makes a little bit of sense. We look at them picking up Tim Hightower, for example. Yeah. They might looking at uh, running more of the sort of... Uh, that kind of run game, but it's still it's still a strange one, um, uh, particularly with with Carlos Hyde, who isn't the kind of guy who runs behind a fullback, and Hightower yeah. isn't necessarily either. So it, it's it's a little odd. And the the other thing that's really weird about it is is that this is a team that had an area of severe need on the offense in terms of they knew we knew they didn't have receivers, and we knew that they didn't have a quarterback. As I've mentioned, the quarterback the way they've tried to address the quarterback situation is just strange. Um, signing all of Jay Cutler's backups from last year. I, I don't know what's going and on there. Not Jay Cutler. Not Jay Cutler. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> Sign all Jay Cutler's backups and no Jay Cutler. But also, you look at like they had a real problem with receiving talent. Jeremy Curdy was the only guy who looked decent. They let him walk. Fair enough, he got overpaid. You can see the reason for that. But the guys they brought in to replace him aren't really any better. Um, and when like you have him, you have a vet like Tory Smith walking away who had underperformed, but there might still have been something there and you're replacing him with Marquis who's good and who's really fast and that's it he's like a poor man's Ted Ginn and Ted Ginn is a poor man's Ted Ginn yeah. let's be honest um, yeah it's, it's just a really baffling period from San Fran and it seems like a team that yeah a front officer and John Lynch doesn't really know what he's doing is kind of flailing around making signings presumably on the Madden franchise he's playing yeah. 
Yeah, and that's not good enough. And like given given like the big the big pluses that they've obviously they brought in their new their new head coach, the 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 offensive mind behind the Falcons team. Like how are you expecting that to translate for this team when you've got nothing there for them to work with? Like, I, it, it, it's just baffling. I'll fly through just any kind of players of note that we want to talk about that are either still out there or kind of signed big deals or anything like that. Mike Glennon signing in Chicago, like Fitz, do you want to chat about that? Yeah, like, like it's a very, like, it's a very John Fox move. That, like, Mike Glennon looked decent for a few years in Tampa Bay when he started but really wasn't anything spectacular. I think you know the biggest question mark is like you know Tampa Bay did go away, did, did go ahead and draft Jamie Winston a couple of years ago when they had Mike Glennon on the roster. That probably gives you an indication that they didn't see him as a franchise quarterback or like a franchise quarterback who could push you to being a winning team. So Chicago, you know, it kind of sounds like they're just stuck in that kind of like it's kind of a worse version of Denver for John Fox. Like instead of being a perennial playoff team, uh, probably somewhere between six and ten. And nine and seven, so you know more mediocrity for Chicago, unfortunately. Right. They've signed. They've signed Jay Cutler's former backups. Former backup. Yep. Can we just appreciate that for a second? It's uh, it's like the the Manushka dolls just yeah. kind of popping like, <laughs> like oh no, we've we've lost some of the set. Where are they? Oh, San Fran took them. You know? Um. Yeah, like we we've talked about the running backs already. Like Peterson's still set out there, Charles is still out there. A few other ones are still knocking around, but uh, we've kind of covered them off in the, in the winners and losers. Uh, in terms of wide receivers, we mentioned Pryor signed a one year deal with the Mazungus for eight million. Uh, another one year prove it deal, which uh, I think could work out very well for the team, is uh, Jeffrey is signed with Philly for one year. Now they're paying him a chunk of change; they're paying him fourteen million. But given this is a player who has potential, but there's questions around his work ethos, questions around character issues, all this kind of stuff. Like getting him on a one-year deal where he knows that this is he has to perform if he wants to get a contract afterwards. This seems like a good setup, right? Yeah, I think so for for Jeffrey. Um, if he can keep his head together, he's a good player. We've seen that he he is mm-hmm. talented when he's not you know taking steroids and off doing whatever else. Yeah. Got him in trouble. Um, for Philly, it's a great because they've got to receive with hands now, which is exciting, obviously, for <laughs> yeah. for them after their last season's a bit of a shit show in that regard. So, look, if he keeps his nose clean, um, it's, it's a good move, and it's one that will lead to him getting paid down the line. Yeah, the only other wide receiver that I thought was, was was particularly, I quite like the, and I think we mentioned this briefly, I quite like the, the Brandon Marshall to the, to the Giants one, two years, 12 million, taking a pay cut. That's going to help them massively as a team because then they'll have him on the other side of Odell. Uh, I still think he can perform, but he is slowing down. So I think I think they got him at a good price as well for that. Uh, uh, we discussed some of the tackles as well. And uh, Andre Whitworth and Ricky Wagner are probably the two big ones. Other notable sections: we've had a couple of couple of large names move. Actually, large names move on the defensive tackle, a kind of three four end type thing. Uh, Calais Campbell, Jacksonville, four years, 60 million. Uh, Brandon Williams, Baltimore, five years, 54 million. Uh, Dontari Poe, which is an interesting kind of side note to, to these large contracts. Uh, Atlanta, one year, 8 million. As uh, we discussed previously, I think Poe wants to have a season where he's allowed to rush the passer a little bit more as he thinks the sacks will give him a bigger payday for a long-term deal. Calais Campbell, like, it's probably a pretty decent signing on the part of Jacksonville. Lock up that, that, that front. <laughs> 
it doesn't matter because they're still going to be playing Blake Bortles. Like, <laughs> like, like, like I, I was considering, like I was considering Jacksonville perhaps as a winner because I think the defense will be a lot better. But it won't matter because Blake Bortles will throw interceptions. Like that should be a very scary defense. I mean, you've got Calais Campbell, you've got uh, Malik Jackson in the, just in the front seven, and then you've mm-hmm. obviously got guys like Pop Sosny going back for the Jalen Ramsey, mm-hmm. Jonathan Cyprian. This is a good defense. Am I crazy to think that I I'm of the opinion that Jacksonville would be the perfect spot to to pick up Jay Cutler. I think that would work quite well for them. They give them a bit of pressure off. He can compete and obviously win the the quarterback job in the off season, and then it'll give them a year to kind of work on the mechanics and try and see what they can do if there's anything salvageable in Blake Bortles. The only other big one would be um, AJ Boye signing for for five years, sixty seven million. As you said, so that's just going to be that's going to be an impressive impressive group of guys in that defense. Um, so as I said, we'll keep you updated kind of on the next part of like any major moves. As I said, there's not a huge amount of people left out there because people aren't looking at the at the old hats anymore. What they're looking at is they're looking at these young guys coming in. So I suppose it's a perfect time for us to move over and start having a look at some of the top prospects coming up in next month's draft. So we're about a month out from the. She's uh, not even a month. We're about three and a half weeks away from the uh, from the from the draft. Uh, we said we'd have a quick look here now at kind of position by position some of the big names that you're going to see out there you're going to hear about over the next month kind of who who, who you might be hoping your team takes or really hoping they don't uh, we'll kind of chat through a few of them see what we think how they compare uh, um, this will all be building to I think our next podcast we're going to do our mock draft in advance of the draft uh, I would, did suggest that we do a mock draft after the draft uh, just so we could be a little bit closer to what actually happens <laughs> but, uh, but I was outvoted on that one um, so I suppose obviously we'll start we'll start with the with the big position uh, long snapper <laughs> okay, I've got seven. Do we want to go? Do we want to go? No, no, no. Aww. We'll kick. We'll kick off with uh, with quarterback. So a uh, couple of names are final. There's, there's kind of there's what, what are being considered a, kind of a big four, the four most likely to be going in the in the, in the first round. Uh, so those would be Deshaun Kaiser from Notre Dame, Deshaun Watson from Clemson, Mitch Trubisky from North Carolina, and Patrick Mahomes the second from Texas Tech. Who, uh, from what I gather, is the he's he's the one that is flying up draft boards at the moment from uh, from his original position of being considered a unsure kind of dual threat. Will he convert? Will he not convert? Thing to now people are uh, raving about his pro day. So uh, out of this group, fits who kind of jumps out at you? Yeah, like I, I think I'll probably just take the the one you mentioned, Patrick Mahomes. I think uh, the kind of like basically when scouts of, like when when people will be talking about him. The general consensus has been that he is someone who's capable of making explosive plays on any given play, but they're almost entirely due to the fact that he's willing to add lib. So, like basically, early on in the process, people were comparing him like unfavorably to to like maybe someone like uh, Johnny Football or something like that. Although he's much more prototypical in that he's got the cannon arm, mm-hmm. he's quite tall. But as the process has gone on. Apparently, people are seeing more Ben Roethlisberger. They're seeing uh, Brett Favre. Brett Favre is a name people are talking about a lot. And this is the kind of quarterback that, you know, because there's no overall number one pick kind of quarterback here, we're not likely to see a quarterback go uh, in the top five. It's probably when we get to the back end of the top ten, we might see the first quarterback off the, off, the, uh, off the board. But what you're seeing now is a lot more hype this year for quarterbacks going to, to decent teams, teams who might already have a quarterback. And what they're seeing with Mahomes is the type of quarterback 
that in a system which allows them that type of flexibility could turn into an elite prospect. And I think there's been a lot of excitement around that thing. I think it's the kind of player that will create the plays which will give him time, which will get the fan base excited and therefore allow you to give him a bit more rope to actually become the type of passer he could be. I think in terms of his fundamentals, he is generally considered to be the biggest risk, especially because he's coming from this air raid offense, which is generally considered to be a massive inflator of statistics. But yeah. even within that offense, he has been an absolute monster, like putting up, I think, over 9,000 yards over the last two years. Over 9,000? Yes. Over what does the scouter say? Yards, <laughs> God, you're such nerds. So, I think if you're talking about a boomer bust candidate within this, and I think people might have early on considered that Trubisky considering his lack of playing experience. But I think right now, this is the guy that people are like, I can fix him. He, 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 I think if he goes to the wrong team, that will probably go horribly. But there is possibly a team or two who could take him, mold him, and turn him into a great quarterback. But I think it needs to be a team that's willing to redshirt him for a year and where mm. their starter is secure enough that the fans aren't going to get down completely on your neck because of that. I think if he runs up in the right situation, he could be a great player. But he's probably the player where you know where he ends up, and he could easily wash out. He could easily be a superstar. But I think that's what teams have. I think that's why teams have him so highly rated in a quarterback class, which is kind of like with particularly uh, with the two more established quarterbacks, kind of safe. Kind of like we know what we're getting. We don't think there's like a huge upside there. This is the upside guy. Let's get him in. Yeah. No. I've I've heard lots of uh, lots of talk about him being a potential target for the Chiefs. That because they can sit in behind Alex Smith and Andy Reid has had success with kind of dual threat quarterbacks in the past and stuff like that, that it could be a nice spot. But as I said, at the moment, especially the response we're hearing through his pro day, I doubt we're going to see him fall that low at all. I think he's going to go a lot higher. Uh, what about yourself, Harry? Is there anyone that jumps out at you? Yeah, well, apparently I wasn't allowed to talk about Swag Kelly because he's an asshole but, uh, and also Swag. terrible. But <laughs> Um, oh yes, we will have a section on the next spot as well. About just this is an excellent draft for just phenomenal names. There's a defensive lineman called D Liner. Yeah, like what a hero! What a hero! His parents knew. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't wait till uh, it's Kobe Buffalo meet is eligible. To be honest with you, oh god, <laughs> Kobe Buffalo meet. Like, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to probably say as much as Rodham. It's Deshaun Watson, uh, the quarterback out of Clemson. Watson's an interesting one because he's kind of been. Uh, he, he was like. A few months ago, there was the hype. It was that this guy could be, uh, you know, this guy could be number one overall. And it was like, oh, this guy could be the number one quarterback on the uh, on the draft board. And then things cooled on him a bit, and he kind of was plummeting down. He saw a few mock drafts, so he wasn't even in the first round. And now he's sort of being rising back up again, I think, as people uh, sort of calm down a bit. But it's been interesting. It's been very interesting to see where he ends up because there's a lot of very differing assess- uh, differing assessments of where he can, uh, where he of, of what level he can play to and what his ceiling is essentially. Because this is a guy who's shown like you know. He's shown that he can win, firstly, which is obviously important, but also he's shown a lot of the sort of intangibles you want when you're taking on a young quarterback, that you can mold them uh, into the into the kind of guy you want. The concern is is that the more people sort of watch tape on him when it gets down to the more nitty-gritty, there are concerns about things like his anticipation and general decision-making, and whether or not teams think that they can coach that out of him. Is he going to be like a ready starter, I think? Because this thing, people initially thought, is he going? To, this is a guy who can start, then wants more... People analyze the tape more and more scouting reports came out. It was like, maybe he isn't. Maybe he isn't going to be the guy who can just plug and play into the offense. Maybe he's a guy who needs more time, not to the same level as a guy like Mahomes, but or or even Trubisky is the case, maybe. Mm. But 
a guy who like maybe isn't quite there yet. So this is it's probably gonna be a good thing for him if he does end up sliding a bit further down the board rather than ending up in a situation like at a San Francisco or whatever, where he gets kind of thrust out immediately into that kind of starting role. In terms of what he can do and in terms of like the potentially shown, this is probably one of the most intriguing and possibly potentially the best quarterback in this draft right now. It's just a question of getting into the right landing spot because he's not quite at the level of coming in and taking over an NFL yeah. offense. So it's, it, it's an, always an awkward position for these guys to be in, right? Because you've got, once you hit that certain level, people are going to be like, well, look, you're the best or second best guy available. We're going to take you and we're going to start. You see EJ Manuel, for example, mm-hmm. or Geno Smith in what was a very, very weak draft uh, in that year. Um, so somebody, I think, is going to pull the trigger too soon on Watson. And I think we're going to see him struggle a little more than he would otherwise because there's so many quarterback-needy teams or teams that just aren't comfortable with with, uh, their veterans or will have a veteran. He'll start a few weeks. He'll struggle not looking at anyone, Brian Hoyer. um, (laughs) And he'll be thrust into it before he's ready for it. But if he's given the time, if he's given even a year to sit or even time to learn behind a more experienced veteran, this is a guy who could come out of this two, three, four years down the line being the best quarterback out of this class. Yeah, no, of course. Like, I think I think there's a bit of a recurring theme with a lot of these quarterbacks uh, versus other years that we've seen. Of A lot of them seem to be in the need of either they need someone to work on their mechanics with them or they need to get a bit more experience and need to settle down. Like, I'm going to chat about Mitch Trubisky from North Carolina. So he it looks like everything you'd want out of a quarterback. Big, strong, has shown playmaking ability, shown accuracy, shown decision-making, shown everything you want. But he's only started for one season. He doesn't have experience. He doesn't have experience really in much of when when it comes to the skill set that you'd need for a pro style offense in the NFL as well. Like this is this is again a prospect with a huge amount of upside, but because of the lack of tape on him, because of the lack of experience, you have no idea what his floor is. You can see all the potential. So it, again, it's 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 the same issue that we have with the with the other quarterbacks we've mentioned that if they can fall down a little bit and this is the type of defensive heavy draft that they will fall into the teens and into the 20s like these are the kind of ones that you would like to see landing on like a Kansas City or a Pittsburgh or somewhere like that where they can sit behind someone like Big Ben not necessarily learn the same approach to football as Big Ben let's say or, or life or life or life but uh, so you don't necessarily want the, the, the them to become more static and whatnot but you do want them to be able to sit there in a system learn practice be the be the scout team quarterback be the second reps quarterback just get them used to the system because this is a guy who has all the potential in the world but doesn't have the tape or the experience to necessarily convert that he will not I don't think I will not be successful if he's popped into a starting role from the get-go he needs at least half a season sitting behind I think it'd be fine if he comes in because someone gets injured like eight games in or something like that but I would not want him I think he he'd light it up for the first two or three games then people would figure him out rather quickly because of his lack of experience he doesn't know how to move his game so it'd be very like when you see a decent backup quarterback coming in showing success for two or three games and I think if you could get him in the twenties and sit him for a year, you'll be you, you'd be sitting on potential gold because he's got all the skills. It's just making sure that he evolves his mindset to deal with how quick and how intense it is at the NFL level. 
Um, we'll move on to running backs, I suppose. Uh, we've got a good, good, good couple of names in here. Uh, this is considered quite a good draft for, for running backs. We've got uh, Leonard Fournette from LSU, Christian McCaffrey from Stanford, Dalvin Cook from Florida State, Alvin Kamara from Tennessee, and uh, I suppose we're going to have to discuss this guy, Joe Mixon from Oklahoma. Um, I'll chat about Joe Mixon because I think we need to get a, explain a little bit. This is a this is a very divisive uh, character in the upcoming draft because certain teams do not have him on their board whatsoever. They have refused to look into into in, in, into hiring him. Other people have now started to see him sneak up their boards and up into potentially even up into a first round pick. Here, he is a strong runner. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can block. He can run incredibly quickly. He can run people over. He is also broken his girlfriend's jaw on film he is well known for this it did happen i believe four or five years ago it was quite a while back but it is the thing of there is a stink on him from that there is also talk about character issues on field as well as off the field that he didn't always get along with coaching staff like when I look at Joe Mixon, I'm seeing the potential here for a Larry Johnson, someone who has a lot of talent but is also just a cunt. I've heard that he's interviewed well, that he seems to be doing the whole kind of, you know, dealing with it, accepting his issues, trying to put it in the rearview mirror. And there is there is an extent to which I kind of understand it to say, like, the incident happened quite a long time ago. In fact, the incident happened prior to uh, to to uh, the Chiefs' most recent signing, Hills incident. Right, it's actually older than that incident. But I suppose the fact that there's videotape of it also makes it, and it's terrible. We've discussed it in the pod before, but that is something that will make it resonate more and make it more of an issue because the second something happens on the field or off the field, and he's got these rumors swirling that that's something that can happen. This will be trotted out immediately. It's a big risk to take him. He's very talented, but I'm not sure what team it is it's going to take a punt on him. Uh, what about yourself there, Harry? Uh, well, I think the... Look, I'm going to be a bit boring on this one again. I think that there's a discussion about who's the best, draft, best back in this draft. I think all that discussion is wrong. I think Leonard Fournette <laughs> is hands down the best running back in this draft. And I think we saw... and we, It was interesting because last season... When we did our preview, one of the running backs we highlighted did not go in the first round, Derek Henry. And we saw what he was able to do even with a, basically like a, as a backup runner yeah. in Tennessee. He was getting, what, like seven snaps a game? Yeah, I think, and, and he was putting up numbers. Mm. Leonard Fournette is, I think, possibly more talented than Derek Henry coming out. He is an incredible physical runner. He is a bruiser. He runs with that north-south downhill race. He does. His power is incredible. He's not perhaps got the quickest feet. He's not a great pass catcher. And he could do with a bit of work on his blocking. But like you said, every single running back coming out of college, right? In terms of a guy who just want to get the ball in his hands and will grind out yards and will grind down defenses and beat down defenses, this is exactly what you're looking for and we've seen it this season with much less talented backs take LeGarrette Blunt for example if you have a guy who is a wrecking ball who is a hammer you can just essentially gut punch a defense into submission over a long enough period of time there have been guys who have made their bread and butter doing that who are much less explosive and less powerful than a guy like Fournette there isn't like unless your team already has somebody in that mold or has an absolutely dominant running back this is a guy who will improve your team. Even if it's a case like Derrick Henry, where he's taken 
and he ends up, you know, splitting the carries with somebody else with a more experienced back for a period of time. This is what you want. And you look at teams, there are so many teams that have them. The problem is, I think a lot of the run, particularly running back needy teams are further down, so you may not end up falling from them. Like, mm. you look at, for example, if you're the Minnesota Vikings and you want to replace Adrian Peterson, like, holy shit, you'd be all over this guy. Oh, yeah. Is he going to fall that far? I don't know. He, he, like, it's very hard to put the draft stock on running backs these days in particular. The big, the big talk at the moment is that Carolina are looking to trade up to pick him at number two. That would be very interesting, and he would fit well into the into the style they have going there. Um, like, and it would be able to take a bit of the, the load off Cam Newton, particularly in third and short, fourth and mm-hmm. short kind of situations, having somebody with that body size and with that power who, who can do that and get it done in the red zone as well. So I, I'm excited to see this guy. Uh, I'm excited to see this guy in the NFL. I think he has all of the physical tools to excel. I think he, he's not in a position where it's like, Oh, you know, there, there's there's mental aspects or there's off the field aspects. None of that really applies as Fournette. This is a guy who can be, at the very worst, a short yardage two down bruiser initially, um, and at best, if he's able to round out the other aspects of his game in the way you'd hope he'd develop, could become like an every down back on a team. And uh, like I said, it's difficult to predict where he'll go. I think we had this very sort of down thing on running backs for a while, and then Ziggy Elliott who, you know, at the time we were like, well, it's, it's strange that he go that high, even though he's that good, given where running backs are, ripped all that up. We've seen guys like like uh, Jordan Howard, who were picked much later, have incredible rookie seasons as running backs. And this is, this is a guy with just absolute game-changing ability who can provide the focal point for an offense, has all the skills to provide the focal point for an offense anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I, this, is, this, is, this is a phenomenal talent, and this is a guy who is going to start I think this season it just depends on where he on where he ends up. Yeah, no, I'd I'd, I'd agree with you on that. Now, what about yourself, Fitz? Anyone catch your eye? The, the biggest polar opposites in the elite prospects is between Leonard Fournette as the power back, uh, Adrian Peterson type mold, and Christian McCaffrey coming from Stanford, who is your Swiss Army knife. Like you know, it was funny in this year's free agency, the first running back who got signed of any note was Danny Woodhead, even come off an injury, and that kind of tells you about the you know, we're, you know all the cliches are it's a passing league these third down backs uh, are really important I think Christian McCaffrey is the type of back who is at the very least an elite third down back pass catching back who can create who can, who can take an offense to the next level or to be to, in, in an offense that suits him could be the number one running back easily so if you took put him into a system like New Orleans or a system like New England this is exactly the type of running back that you would expect them to excel and to basically put up ridiculous yards and it's not just that Christian McCaffrey is is just that I think he showed in his first two years in college that he could be an in-between-the-tackles uh, player when he needed to be and could actually get a load of production his first two years in college he put up absolutely ridiculous numbers I think his biggest knock right now is that like he did get that injury in his third year and in his fourth year he just didn't have the same production so there's worries there over the durability of a back like him whether if you do want to run him as a third as, a, as an all-down back will he have the durability to go inside the tackles and basically not have that injury flare up again and just wider questions over whether his like his explosiveness has been sapped by that pre-existing injury so i think for him it's a situation that his, his floor is pretty is pretty good in the sense that he will be a very useful component of most most of those kind of short pass offenses and there are a lot and there are a lot of them in the league since they're such a winning prototype. But is he good enough to go in the first round where you're really looking for that all down back? There are definitely question marks about that. But I think whoever picks him up will end up getting good production out of either way. I think it's someone you'd probably be happier picking at the end of the first round 
maybe in the second rather than the top of the first. But that talent, that potential that they saw in the first two years, might be enough to tempt the team a bit higher up the board. Yeah, no, of course. He also, he had, he had an incredible uh, run at the, at the combine and, 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 and in, I believe in one or two pro day kind of type scenarios or private testing since. So it should be interesting to see where he goes. He's another one that's kind of flying up the boards. Uh, so we'll speed up a little bit now and have a look through uh, kind of the wide receiver tight end groups. Uh, this is considered a very strong draft for tight end and an okay one for, for wide receivers. Uh, so we've got like... Corey Davis from Western Michigan, Mike Williams from Clemson, uh, OJ Howard from Alabama, the tight end, John Ross from Washington, and even like David Njoku from Miami, another tight end. Uh, what what are our thoughts on these? Is there anyone who jumps out to you there, Fitz? Yeah, so I'll take one of the, the lower ones uh, in this case, and it's John Ross. Uh, I think, obviously, he's jumped into the consciousness of even the average NFL fan because he, he broke the record for the forty time, but he didn't. Uh, but he didn't get no island. But yeah, like like John Ross, like you're looking at the type of player. Like we talked about Brandon Cooks earlier on. Obviously, we saw the Sean Jackson get a decent amount of money this season. There are just some player. There are just some playmakers who are so quick, so fast that they just can win by speed alone. And John Ross, obviously, with the time he has, is someone who could do that. And I think the important thing is, like you know, a lot of the time these quickest players aren't really that good. Uh, playmakers in college but John Ross actually does have the production in college both as a returner and as a receiver to back up that speed so when you're talking about someone like here you're talking about a home run run hitter who could actually change the game for that and just open up the entire rest of the field for your game plan now traditionally if you're taking a wide receiver in the first round you're looking more for your like your Julio Jones Uh, and the other two receivers are probably more in that mode but I think someone like this if you're looking like towards the you know uh, like towards the mid back end of the first round where they have a fairly complete offense this is the final piece that could really just open things up and create a completely more dynamic offense for that team I don't know if it's any use to Alex Smith of course but I think (laughs) the only knock is of course that he's a small receiver there are worries that I impress coverage he wouldn't really be able to go up against someone like uh, like uh, Richard Sherman, for example. You'll hit him on your fantasy team, but for as a totality of your offense, he could be a really exciting piece. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, like I'd say, when I'm looking at this group, I would probably look at um, OJ Howard, the tight end. I have a feeling that he's going to go off the board before any of the wide receivers will. Mm. He just like he's he's pretty much exactly what you would dream or build a tight end to be. He's big, he's strong, he's athletic, he's, he's, he's surprisingly, surprisingly fast for a man of his size as well. Uh, like, there were one or two concerns about whether or not his blocking was up to scratch, but I think he's shown in, in, in his, in his uh, combine work that the physicality is there for it, and it might just be kind of getting yourself mentally up to speed with the game for that. I don't doubt that he's going to be able to work around that. Uh, he, he, he's just... He's just Literally, what if if you told someone what this game was, uh, an abstract they'd never seen it, and said, "Draw me the type of person that will do well at this game." Like that's who this guy is. <laughs> Great hands. Like he's going to be. He's he's the closest you're going to get to a tight end prospect that like might have a ceiling somewhere in Gronk's region that's happened in the last couple of years. He's he just looks incredible to me, and I like. I have a feeling he might go in the top five. I think Ooh. he might go off the board early. Because you're talking about a guy, you're essentially getting help for your line 
and help for, 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 for your passing game and to an extent help for your blocking game because he's big, physical and fast. If you can use him in some respect as a lead blocker as well, he'd be excellent down the field helping him and that stuff. Like I just see him as being incredibly good value for what he is. And he doesn't have, normally with guys this size, you have more of an injury concern with them, but he doesn't seem to have the same kind of, the, the same level of injury concern that you would have uh, that we've seen even with other tight end prospects who are also kind of sizable men as well. So I think OJ Howard is going to not just be the first tight end off the board, I think he's going to be the first wide receiver slash tight end off the board. I think he's going to go very high. I'm going to just briefly discuss one of the wide receivers, because uh, I suppose since I talked about Watson, I might as well talk about his, his number one target, Mike Williams. Also coming out of Clemson, uh, very much sort of a uh, prototypical wide receiver. We've seen him play sort of across the field. We know he's got the ability to slot into different positions on the offense, which can be very useful when you're a young wide receiver coming up. You know, if they need to play you in the slot or play you X or Y and move you around a lot and fit around existing veteran pieces, that's the sort of thing that stands that can stand very well to a player rather than sort of getting you know thrown in and pigeonholed in a space in an offense where they might not necessarily have thrived, they might not necessarily have played in college. And he's not like he's not he's not the fastest and he's not the strongest, but he's got good hands. He's a good route runner and he's smart in how he plays. And those are the kind of things that you you, you can succeed with in the NFL, even if you're not like at the tip top uh, of the physical level. Particularly at wide receiver, where younger players generally are given a bit more time to develop, are given a little bit more time to figure things out. If you come in with more of the uh, say mental aspect of the game figured out, it's going to stand you into into pretty good stead. Um, I don't think see, see him being like a top 10, top 15 prospect for the reasons I, I outlined, but I think he's definitely got potential to settle in, have a sort of solid production uh, immediately, and sort of develop into being a better player over the last years. The one big knock against him is that he's a wide receiver called Mike Williams. I think there have been seven or eight <laughs> wide receivers called Mike Williams drafted in the NFL, and it all sucked. So yeah. figure that, that is, out. That, that, that is a worry, you know. So def- definitely on the characteristic sheet. <laughs> it's a red flag. Yeah, a red flag. <laughs> Um, we'll fly through the next part, uh, kind of line, offensive lineman here. That's not a particularly strong draft for these top names. A tackle would be uh, Ryan Ramzik uh, from Wisconsin and Garrett Bowles from Utah, and then a kind of guard center, Forrest Lamp from from. <laughs> I know every, every anyone who has a two now name is a great name, yeah. uh, and then uh, Cam Robinson from Alabama. Um, I think. Realistically, there's going to be teams taking these guys because they're going to need to take people in these spots. But I just, I'm not sure. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be happy with either of these tackles. They've got potential, but they're that they're not the size that they're ready to go in and play yet. There's concerns over injuries with some of them, and then even at the guard spot, it's good. But then there is always the question of like. Uh, is it is it worth your pick at say fourteen or something to spend it on a guard that is pretty good but probably not as good or will take a year or two to get to be as good as what you could pick out in the market? This is not a strong one for the line for the for the offensive line. Like, is there anyone in particular you guys would like to talk about in this? Yeah, the only one I'd like to mention is Garrett Bowles. I think he's definitely a scheme dependent uh, prospect. He's got great feet. He's very athletic and. If you're talking about a tackle who could work in the zone blocking scheme, where those type of traits are, are seen as more important, he is the type of one you could see going to that. So that's teams like Denver, that's teams like Seattle, towards the end of the, the of the first round. You could see them end up picking. He's an older prospect at 25, 
but he has the type of technique that you could turn into ZBS and become a very good prospect immediately, almost Pro Bowl level, if he lives up to his potential. Yeah, and it'll also allow you to then continue not paying your offensive line any money as well, <laughs> which, would be, uh, which would be perfect for you. It's just all the basketball players, they're all becoming tight ends. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Um, so, so outside linebackers, 4 3 guys, essentially what, what, what we call rush. Like these are, these are your rush players. This is a very strong draft for, 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 for pass rushing prospects there's a lot of defensive talent uh, within this draft the main names one that everyone who's, who's in any way watching knows Miles Garrett is kind of essentially the locked in you'd have to be a moron not to pick him first overall he could be a generational player type thing uh, other names in this group would be Solomon Thomas from Stanford Derek Barnett from, from Tennessee and uh, Takaris McKinley from UCLA uh, like this is this is an excellent league. Even down to Taco Charlton. This, who do you want to chat about, Ronan? Well, there's two types of uh, ends that you're really looking at in the league, and there's the then there's the kind of the elite pass rushing uh, prospects, and then there's the all rounders. I think Tarek Chris McKinley is one of your all rounders. What they talk about on tape and what they talk about the analysts talk about is his relentless motor. This is someone who keeps playing until the whistle goes. He keeps pushing. He keeps trying, and he never. He never lets down, and he plays for the entire four quarters. And I think that's the kind of player that I don't think is the kind of player who will go towards the top of the draft because he lacks perhaps the elite moveset to win at the line of scrimmage. But I think he's the kind of relentless player that coaches who value character, perhaps over perhaps just their, their skill when they come out of college, really love. That's the type of player that, say, uh, Pete Carroll likes, uh, Bill Belichick likes, where they can go, we can fix his issues because he lacks the elite, like he doesn't really have the pass rushing repertoire and his hands are a bit loose at the moment, but we're like, we can take him and we can take that motor and he will become a vital component of our defense and he will make sure that our defense keeps the pressure up and doesn't take a playoff. When you have a team that values those type of skills, I think that's where Tackers McKinley will come off the board. I think when you look at the other guys, He's maybe not. He's not a physical freak like Miles Garrett, but he has all of the potential to become a solid contributor for four to five years. And it, with with the right coaching, with the right technique, he could turn into an elite prospect. I think for people who are going towards the back end of the first round, that is a type of player that you would really like to have because they can make an immediate impact while also having that upside that you're always looking for from those first round potentials. So yeah, no, of course. Like I'll I'll, I'll take the easy one on this one. I'll talk Miles Garrett. Like Garrett is considered sort of a potential generational talent coming out here like a elite prospect his physical profile is is incredible he's 6'4 272 pounds and ran a 46440 like he's a very beautiful man as well yeah he is a handsome dude too like his production in college is great he, he was able to both kind of power through to get to get sacks and tackles behind the line of scrimmage, but also he has the speed to get around. There is questions of whether or not he needs to expand his repertoire of of, uh, of moves, so maybe kind of add an extra move to get around some of the guys. But like, there's talking about a guy who's had like 32 or 33 career sacks and like nearly 50 tackles for a loss. Like, this guy is as surefire to a can't miss as you can come by in this draft. And he's going to be an excellent addition to the Browns. Uh, so tell us about Taco Charlton. <laughs> uh, Taco Charlton, in fact. His name isn't Taco. That, I'm really disappointed now. I don't want to talk about him anymore. Apparently, oh, that's, apparently it's not his real name. Uh, that's, that's very sad. But no, um, his, his real name is Vedante for anyone who, who's listening. But this guy, this is, this is one of those really interesting prospects who's come out of college, you know, a little bit inconsistent. A little bit of like question marks over you know the, the the time it took him to get to the level he did. Very insistent earlier in his career had a good production in the final year coming up to, to the draft, and he's not 
it's really, he's got like he's very tall and he's rangy and he's got a lot of um, length that he's been able to use very effectively as a pass rusher to sort of rip past defenders and so on. There is question about his physical strength in terms of his weight and his bulk, but that's something that can be worked out. What you've got here is a guy who has shown flashes of being of top level potential, and in the right scheme with the right kind of um, coaching approach to it, has the potential to be an elite guy. We've seen. Uh, other guys come out of college were like, oh, are they, you know, are they physically ready? Can they can they make that step up? And then it's just a question of physical coaching, getting into the weight room, to use that horrible cliche, uh, putting on a bit more power so they don't get overpowered at the NFL level. I don't think he's going to be the kind of guy who becomes an immediate contributor who steps on the field and is terrorizing people from day one like a Khalil Mack or a Joey Bosa. Mm. But this is a guy who has shown when he is in the right in the right situation, can do that. And it's like, right, how do you build that consistency? Where, do you take him into a team that already has solid rushers or decent rushers around him, build him up through that kind of rotation and allow him to use that aggressiveness and length he has to provide something different to a defense that perhaps lacks that in terms of its edge run? I think he's a guy who will need to go, again, he will need to go to a team that's already solid in the area to succeed. He will need some time to figure it out. But... I think this is a guy a couple of years down the line. You know, this is a guy who could definitely get, has the potential to be an NFL level starter, who has potentially a good NFL level starter. And although he's not, you know, a home run hit like uh, like like Garrett or, or or whoever you want to point at, he's somebody who, in the right situation, in a rotational pass rush, can take on that role and grow into it yeah. over the next few seasons. And I think his ceiling is very very high in that regard. Excellent, excellent. Um, Bizarrely, for a very good defensive draft. It- very little in terms of kind of defensive tackles or well tackles in particular but also not a huge amount in 3-4 ends like the only one of note would be Jonathan Allen out of Alabama who's considered very good but there's now a question because he has to have I believe it's surgery sometime on arthritis in his shoulder so there's questions over whether that would be a problem moving into the pros whether he'd be able to continue with that so like we'll obviously discuss some of these guys in more detail when we're doing our mock draft because even though in some of these spots there's not a huge amount of prospects there are teams who have needs in those spots and they will probably be looking at some of the second tier guys uh, our next big group will be inside linebackers and kind of 4-3 outside linebackers so kind of run stubbers not as much on the not as much on the rush but uh, but still quite heavy uh, we've got Ruben Foster from Alabama Hassan Reddick from Temple uh, Jared Davis from Florida Zach Cunningham from Vanderbilt TJ Watt from Wisconsin uh, it's a big strong group uh, who do you who, who do you like in here Fitz? I think it will be Zach Cunningham it's coming from Vanderbilt and I think he, he, like this is a kind of guy who uh, need, needs a bit of coaching up. He basically lacks a bit of tackling technique, but the Seahawks have generally been seen as a coaching staff who are very good at bringing those type of things up. So if you have the type of coaching staff that you believe can teach him proper tackling technique, then he has all of the ability that you need. So this is someone who's considered to be a very good, someone with great football knowledge, someone who understands the game and great play recognition. I think that's something that's a bit of a worry uh, with some of the other top uh, prospects in this draft and he's considered a rangy linebacker so while he doesn't quite perhaps have the kind of elite like top end speed he's, he's very tall he's very rangy and he's able to get across the field and able to get there able to get there quickly enough to stop the play and with the physicality to do so so I think when you're looking at this type of the one you're looking probably at a will linebacker like a 4-3 linebacker maybe a, a, a inside linebacker at the next level for a 3-4 team but just someone who will be a solid contributor where they'll be able to do this thing. I think his comparison uh, has been to Reggie Ragland uh, from the draft last year and people are generally considered to be a better prospect than Reggie Ragland uh, who, was gener- who was considered to probably be a first rounder but went in the second round last year. Uh, we didn't see him due to injuries but I think when you're looking at someone like this I think 
this is the kind of low-risk move that you might see from a team that wants to improve their linebacker core. The biggest knock against them is simply the fact that with the increased prominence of Nickel, he might be put out a bit by the fact that there just isn't as much need for those type of linebackers at the moment who doesn't have that scheme flexibility. But I think if you're looking for a base 4-3 linebacker, outside linebacker, he's the perfect prospect for that. And I think he should be a good pickup for a team willing to accommodate that type of player. Yeah, what about yourself, Harry? Who are you looking at? Uh, I think, well, since uh, he's the brother of your favourite oh, player. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Prefer, actually, hold on, just, just before we get into this, was he not playing tight end for a while? No, I think that was the other one. Oh, the other one. Right, the, the one who's a fullback now. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, TJ Watt. Uh, interesting. Um, I don't want to say that this is... I, and this is why, like, I want to talk about this because I find it hilarious. That all the analysis of it, it's like... He's a real, you know, tireless worker. He's a gym rat. He's a lunch paler. He's scrapped like, oh my god, he's the widest lie. Anyway, does, um, he, does he rap? <laughs> does he rap while flipping tractor tires? God, I hope not. This is like this is, but he's, he's an interesting prospect. Like he's not the talent that his brother has, but he is a very effective, hardworking uh, guy. And that's the kind of thing you uh, gets valued a lot in, in in linebackers in his position. It's like, can you play hard and can you make up the ground and can you? Um, offer ability to both tackle. He's a very he's got shown very good tackling technique, which is, is interesting because in the NFL, as we know, there are a lot of players with very questionable tackling technique. Mm. How they do it? He's, he's a good rap tackler. He's a good run stuffer, and he's got some pass rushing moves. Although he'll probably need to develop it a bit more at the NFL level. But what you've got here is a guy who will be gritty and hardworking and all of those cliches but that's what you want in guys in his position his ceiling is obviously higher than that you never know where it is with these prospects particularly after you know coming from that family but as it stands he's the kind of guy who can at worst fill in uh, as a role player as a solid anchor point for a defense so i think tj watt is an interesting prospect he's not coming out with the he's coming out with more hype than he should perhaps because of the family connection but i actually think there's a decent player under all of that potentially a good player under all of that and it'll be interesting to see uh, whether or not that affects his draft stock in terms of where he goes how much teams sort of give him the benefit of the doubt based on where he's based on where he's coming from yeah no of course uh one one that i've well i've, I've heard a lot of discussion about is hassan reddick from temple looks like a potentially excellent player very quick a lot of playmaking ability he has the ability to kind of to to if, if you send him rushing he has the ability to bend a little bit he has he's more bending than you'd expect to see out of a lot of kind of inside linebackers the question with him and it's it's it, it it's odd because you normally see this more closely with ends than you do with anything else. He's a little bit of a tweener between positions, so depending on the scheme fit that he lands in, whether or not he would play inside linebacker or on a 4-3, maybe play more of the outside and more of a situational kind of pass rush, seal the edge type man. Like, he has all that you'd want in terms of measurables. He has all that you'd want in terms of build. The question is, will he fit your scheme? And obviously... If he's going to go at any way high in this draft, there's a risk to him with that as well. Because the less good a team is, the more likely you're going to see turnover in coaching staff, the more likely you're going to see scheme swaps. If he lands in a spot where they know how to use him, he could be an elite an, uh, an elite addition to a team. The problem is whether or not the teams who are going to be picking high enough where I think he might go will be able to make the most of what could be a potentially excellent pickup uh, for inside linebacker. 
Uh, and I suppose we'll go to our, our, our last position group for now. Uh, it'll be safety and, uh, and and cornerback. We'll throw them all in together here. There's a, there's a good 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 old draft for these boys now, I must say. Uh, Jabril Peppers out of Michigan. Uh, Jamal Adams from LSU. Malik Hooker from Ohio State. Uh, also flying up the boards. Uh, I'm going to try this one. Uh, Obi Mifilwanu. No? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Something close enough <laughs> from, from Connecticut. And then in terms of cornerbacks, uh, Marshawn Lattimore from Ohio State and Marlon Humphreys from Alabama. And there's a few other ones like down to Tredavious White from LSU. I think actually I heard an interview with him on Move the Sticks today. Uh, it sounded like an interesting chap. So who kind of jumps out to you here on this one, Fitz? Uh, I'm going to take Malik Hooker, uh, safety from Ohio State. And uh, I think he's a one-year starter, so there's not a lot of tape on him, but... What was strong, what is exciting, is that he's someone with the ability to like to get to the ball. So he is someone who, if he is near the ball, has the ability to take the ball, and not only just take it, but actually take the ball all the way back to the house. So what we saw all through his career, or through his year, uh, when he broke out this year, was that when, like, when he gets the ball, he makes plays, he makes exciting things happen. I think that's the kind of ability which is really, really, really tempting to teams. So I think when you're talking about ball, when you're talking about playmaking ability in the secondary, he's the type of player you have. Now, the one worry about him is that A, he has a bit of injury concern. I believe he's coming off a foot injury uh, into the season. So even though he's actually been associated in some, dra- in some, dra- in some mock drafts going as high as the top five, I think that will probably step him down a bit. But there's also worries that he is, doesn't quite have the tackling ability to be an elite run stopper yet. So I can see him being the kind of prospect that you know a team is like, I want my Earl Thomas, I want my kind of prowling uh, free safety you can play around and is at any moment could take things back and has the kind of ball hawking ability that you know thinking back to players like Ed Reed and stuff like that, that they could be a game changer at every play and that just through the fact that teams would be scared of giving the ball, they just come, like they basically take away parts of the field, they make teams more conservative and that allows the rest of the game plan to be built around that. He's the type of player, I think he's the only one here who could really, has that ability to be a true like free safety freak and I think that's why like teams are going to be very tempted to take him perhaps higher than he should based on his suspect runnability and the injury. But I think team, like, this is one who could definitely go a lot higher than perhaps he was originally stated to be earlier in the process. Yeah. Like, I think I'll have a look at um, Kevin King, the uh, the cornerback from, from Washington. Uh, I think he's an interesting prospect as to, one, whether he will be kind of a back end of the first round or kind of an upper top section of the second round one. Uh, now, I've, I've, I've a bit of interest in this. He's the, he's the old uh, the, the old DB pairing with uh, Marcus Peters mm. uh, from back then. A very interesting player. Extremely tall for the position. I think he's 6'3 or 6'4. Um, but he's played across all of the positions in the backfield. He's played safety, so he's very flexible in that. He can come in and be your box safety. He can play your nickel corner there's concerns over him about whether or not he is quick enough whether his feet are quick enough and especially at that height whether or not smaller shiftier receivers will be able to get away from him but he is quite quite strong good at tackling his he's uh, he had he's some very exciting bits on his highlight reel i'm not gonna lie like uh, i think there's a one-handed interception in the end zone that just looked incredible but um there are concerns with him about whether or not he's going to be able to to be physical enough uh, for down the field with players, but he would fit well into any kind of heavy press scheme or anyone who, who likes to 
jam at the line and have so like a Seattle could be good a Chiefs could be good things like that the teams who like to play that kind of physical with kind of ranging safeties behind and also just the fact that he would give you the option of if you need him to fill in at safety he can fill in at safety if you can get a player who is good enough to be a starter but also versatile enough to be able to provide coverage and depth within multiple positions in your team I think you're getting a you're getting essentially a steal for them if you can get them in the second or if he slips at all Jesus yeah yeah, that's fair. Uh, he's definitely an intriguing prospect. Uh, I, I want to talk about uh, Jabril Peppers. Uh, he doesn't really have a position. Like, we have him here as a safety. Like, God knows, is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? Is he a slot corner? I don't fucking know. He's so exciting. Like, his ability um, to play for like play aggressively, firstly, in coverage. He's, we've seen him be effective as a blitzer. He's probably a little small to play linebacker at the NFL level. Mm. So he's more than likely projects to safety, although as he saw with uh, Mark Barron, I think would be the example of somebody who projects as a safety then turned out to not be very good at the safety and ended up moving back to linebacker, where he's actually been reasonably good for the Rams. Um, Could be the same kind of situation for Peppers. Uh, Seems undersized for it, but uh, there's there's questions about his instincts in... uh, Basically, he's only got, one, I think, one interception through his college career. Basically, his instincts in coverage probably need some work. But as a physical safety... This guy has all the tools, like a sort of a, a Patrick Chung type player or, mm. or what have you. He he plays with this just intense style that just makes him really really exciting to watch, and it's going to be really really fun to see how that translates to an NFL level. He is a little over aggressive, but you'd imagine that those instincts can be coached out of him by mm. a, a, by by a good team. So this is a guy who can fill a variety of roles in the backfield. Like we've seen that kind of thing be valued with Tyron Matthew. Yeah. Uh, I'm not necessarily that Peppers is gonna be Tyron Matthew, but he's got the same kind of potential like to be semi, semi hybrid kind of thing. Exactly, somewhere between corner linebacker and safety uh, and that kind of thing. So like, once he locks down a position, it's gonna be. He has the potential to grow into that and be given solidity. That's going to be very, very important. But as of now, what we have is a guy who, while he hasn't had necessarily the best production uh, consistently throughout his college career, a guy who has the mentality that coaches love in terms of how he plays the game, who has all the physical tools to succeed, and it's about seeing how he translates that. This guy is going to go high. I think people are going to be invested in his potential. They're going to be intrigued by him. They're going to look past the lack of production, they're going to look past the fact that he was moved around a lot in college. They're going to look at that versatility. They're going to look at that physicality. They're going to look at the aggressive way he plays and they're going to fall in love with this. So yeah, like that kind of wraps up kind of a, a quick quick flying overview of a few of the top prospects at all the different positions. Uh, like I said, we will be going probably more in depth uh, on them on our next podcast where we're going to do our, our mock draft and everything uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about a few more of them because the thing as well to, to bear in mind is while we're talking about these physical traits of these players there are teams in which these traits are needed and will be utilised and there's teams where they're not so you might have an excellent prospect but they could not fit a team entirely or vice versa but yeah so uh, so that'll do us for, for today any other crackers yourselves lads any cracker in the rest of the week? Uh, quite enough uh, I did notice though that they brought out the second season of All or Nothing, and it's about the. Oh, uh, yeah. Rams. It's about the LARS, because uh, we so shit. Spoiler alert, nothing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so look, that's great. We'll be back, obviously, with some more news and our mock draft in the build up to. Well, we'll see. Potentially, uh, potentially a, a live draft special oh, as well. <laughs> The last one was so much fun. Actually dying inside here, like. Uh, um, but it's us uh, for now. Thanks for listening. It's uh, bye from myself. Bye from Harry. Bye. Bye from Ronan. Bye. This has been all four quarters. Thanks very much for listening. We'll chat to you in about two weeks' time. <laughs>